All right, Pottercast with Brendan Damaroski in three, two, one. Welcome to the Pottercast. Michael Potter here, joined by Brendan Damaraski, Director of Player Personnel for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, Brendan, thanks for being on the Pottercast. Pleasure. Yeah, now we met through your wife, Morgan. I met her at Grand Canyon University, and you can hear the cars whizzing in the background and stuff here. We're sitting outside in beautiful, sunny uh, Arizona, which, of course, is where the Mariners are going to be getting ready to go. We're, of course, downtown. They're out in Peoria. What is this time of year like for you as director of player personnel? Do you get a bit of a break from, like, when the season ends uh, until now? So I would say right now we're wrapping up planning for the season, I would say. To the extent that there's a downtime in the calendar, it probably comes, I, I would say, after Thanksgiving. Gotcha. Um, but even then, you have the winter meetings and stuff. So it, it's never really downtime, per se, but, like, just relatively speaking. So, so yeah, now, like, you know, for me, as far as our scouting operation goes, it's making sure our scouts are, are lined up for where they need to be when the season starts, when spring training starts. Um, any initiatives we're going to undertake, changes to how we do things or how we go about things logistically uh, that we're kind of buttoned up in those areas. Um, we don't have any new staff per se this year uh, on my side of things, but uh, would also be a huge time for just like onboarding people and making sure everybody's on the same page heading into to really when pitchers and catchers report in a couple weeks here. So uh, kind of wrapping up the final touches of the offseason. How, how different is it for you guys going into this offseason on such a high note? I mean, making the playoffs longest uh, longest drought in uh, major sports history back in, what, 2001? You guys make the playoffs. You go out. You get a victory in that wild card game. How different is it going into the offseason now? Uh, it's super fun. Um, you know, we – we think we've put a pretty good club together as we sit here today, and we're not going to stop um, trying to make the club better over the next couple weeks either. Um, so, yeah, like it, it's a lot more fun, just the expectations that come with it, the the vibes around the complex when the guys show up, and even the conversations you have with like other teams during the offseason or agents, players during the offseason, and they, they see what's going on in Seattle and Peoria, and they're excited about it, and you know other teams are complimenting you on on moves you did or didn't make um and how the season played out so um always tell and, and it's a different challenge when there are the expectations right, going right. into the season <laughs> um and, and those can certainly be humbling but it's a lot more fun i'd say than the opposite when you're kind of scouring for prospects and right. you're picking super high in the draft and things like that um so so, yeah, it's been fun, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see the fruits of that. Come. Well, you came over uh, to, to Seattle in, what, 2016, 2017. When did you guys know? I mean, because that's, what, five, six years in. When did you know, hey, I think we got, I think we're putting something together. Give us a, a year or two, and we're going to be there. Um, I would say it's hard to pinpoint a specific um, event or date or anything. But, but I would say, like, 
when some of our young talent started showing up and, and cresting, if you will. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think Logan Gilbert was a, a huge part of that. Um, Julio, obviously, George Kirby. Um, so I think heading into last year, we certainly had expectations internally. I think internally you're always kind of guilty of wearing the rose-colored glasses a little bit. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, I, th I think with a lot of quote-unquote rebuilds, um, the players tend to tell you when it's time to go, in my opinion. They, it's hard to, like, look at it from a macro level mm -hmm. from the top down, I guess, and say, like, this is the point in time when the team's going to be competitive. Like, it, it just doesn't work out like that. Mm. Um, it, it's just not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, and I think a lot of, like, you look at the Cubs, the Chris Bryant Cubs, or the Astros when they first won it, um, even the Rays coming out of some of their bleaker times, maybe a decade. I, I think a lot of these teams tend to be better than most people think they are. Like, mm -hmm. And, and yeah, it's just it's really a credit to the players who, you know, tell the front office or tell the coaches or tell the staff, like, you know what, we're here and, like, yeah. it's time to go. And that's where we found ourselves. That's where we found ourselves last year, really. Well, you went to Stanford, played ball at Stanford. Um, after that ended, I mean, it did great, right? College World Series appearance your last year. What, what was that like? That was your senior year, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, crazy. Like, probably the coolest – athletic experience in my life I'd say a um, bunch of guys that I'm still friends with still super close with um, you know guys who are still kicking around the big leagues yeah uh, you know Jason Castro I think is going to hang it up in a little bit here and and Jed Lowry um, so so yeah super rewarding like you know bonds and friendships you have for life and stuff and and really like probably outside of like winning the world series or being in the big leagues or something like probably one of the cooler things like a young right. baseball player can can experience you know yeah what was your what was your how did you get to stanford because you grew up across the country right like what was your what was your growing up life like yeah i grew up in tampa florida um you know i had never i don't think i'd ever been west of texas before college recruiting is that right stuff started you know <laughs> so like whole new world <laughs> yeah it might as well have been uh, a whole different world and um you know i was like i was pretty academically motivated too yeah. um i wasn't i wasn't quite good enough of a prospect i'd say looking back and armed with current knowledge <laughs> with like, what you know now about yeah, prospects like i probably wasn't <laughs> i probably wasn't good enough to to sign professionally at least for the dollar amount that would make sense to bypass some of the colleges I was looking at, you know, mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot of academic places, you know, Wake Forest was high on the list and some other schools like that around the East coast. Yeah. Um, and, and really when, when Stanford called for the first time, like I had, you know, I, you're watching the college world series, you're watching regional super and you like, you know, Stanford's awesome. And like sure. always have good baseball teams and whatever. And, um, you know, when, when they call and express interest and stuff and, you know, I, I found my way out there for a visit and stuff. It was, it was, it wasn't an easy decision, but yeah. like it definitely felt like the, <laughs> I don't know if you like, if you really want to challenge yourself athletically and academically, like that's probably 
at least in the baseball yeah. sphere. Yeah, like, some of the best places, right? The best place to be. <laughs> like maybe that's Vanderbilt now. Maybe that's still Stanford, right. UCLA, whatever. But, um, but yeah, it was like, I don't know. When you just go down the checklist of yeah. like, you know, you want to be challenged academically. Checked all the boxes. Yeah. So, um, have you ever gone back and? Uh, and done a uh, scouting report on Brendan Domorowski coming out of high school. <laughs> like, like, what would I, if this came across my desk from a scout? Would I sign this kid, or how much would I offer him? Um, <laughs> I, I guess I, I will say one of the first things I did when I started working in baseball was go into, you know, I was with the D-backs at the time, like go into some of the D-backs scouting reports <laughs> and see like, if they had you, see see what people wrote about me. Um, <laughs> They were, they were nice. They I get mean, to a place where you, you can know. fire those guys or, or no, promote no, them. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just they, kidding. They, they were uh, they're professional and, and honest, which I, which I, that's I think awesome. is what you're aiming for from evaluators. So. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's funny. Well, how, how much does that change? I mean, from a player, right, that's a very different mindset and a different way to see the game than an evaluator. I mean, was that a big change for you when you got into – I mean, because you went right from Stanford to the D-backs and you kind of got into that – more of more of the evaluation side of it yeah I'd say so like I, I think when you're an evaluator um, you kind of have to have an idea of where a player fits in the broader player pool you yeah. know whether that's in a draft setting or trade setting prospect setting big league set like so you're always trying to juggle like you know here's what I see this player doing today and here's what I know, like, similar players around the player pool also do. So, like, where does that player kind of fit there? And it, and I think as a player or as a coach, like, sometimes that mindset or that vantage point can be counterproductive because, like, mm. you're focused on things other than just getting better mm-hmm. today or tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and And so – you know, when I was a player, like, all I really knew was the players that I played with and against. And you haven't, like, you know, you can – I could certainly see – I'd be like, they, Jacoby Ellsbury, a lot better than I'll ever be. <laughs> Drew Stubbs, a lot better than I'll ever be. Jed yeah. Lowry, whoever. So – but you're also – but you're still kind of insulated to mm-hmm. your, your little, I don't know, radius. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when you when you flip the script and you're you're trying to – figure out kind of where a player fits in the broader landscape um you definitely try to you definitely try to have a little more like broader view right of of where the skills fit of where the tools fit. it feels like baseball is the hardest sport to do that with i was reading back you know i'm from kansas city so a big chiefs fan i'm reading the article right um and and I mean, of their, what, 12 draft picks, like seven of them were starters this year. I mean, in football, you draft a guy and he plays, you know. In baseball, many times, especially a high schooler or somebody overseas, uh, you're drafting a kid and you're projecting will he play in three, four, five, six years sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I'm a football fan. I I read and watch stuff about football. Um, I think... I think football presents just different challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if one's easier than the other. Like, baseball, I'd say, is, like, it's more, like, individual skill-driven, mm-hmm. maybe, than, you know, like, hitting a baseball is, like, such a refined 
athletic skill and every single hitter in your lineup has to do it. And I think like, you know, you, you can certainly drop like a quarterback reading the defense seems super hard. You know? <laughs> right, like, right, right. And, and a wide receiver creating space in a route, super hard. Like, yeah. and, and some people just have the knack to do that and like other people don't. And like evaluating quarterbacks seems to be notoriously difficult because it's less about <laughs> the measurables like it. yeah. and it's, it's more like identifying that kind of fuzzy, uncertain skill of like reaction time, being able to read defenses, you know, quickness of releases, yeah. um, decision making. So like, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's similar to how difficult it is to evaluate hitters in some ways, just like which, which of these 18 year olds is going to hit at the right. big league level and which of them just doesn't have that you know that extra blink of timing or that extra millisecond of decision making and um so yeah like super difficult and you're trying to like you're you're trying to sign kids when they're so young because if you don't somebody else is going to and um the big leagues is very very far away from college baseball even Mm -hmm. um let alone high school baseball or travel baseball or anything so um i think they all present challenges um in baseball's you know baseball's biggest challenge is that the future is a lot farther away right than right maybe the other sports um but a little longer projection but yeah that's a good point about the quarterbacks i mean so you probably have a little bit of a when these guys when these gms get hammered for picking you know a quarterback that blows it you're kind of like oh come on guys i, I get the problems inherent in that oh, yeah, yeah the guy's got the physical skills but there's there's so much different. They talk about in football the jump from college to pro, even like you know playing at Alabama and the SEC, it's just so different when you go to the pros. It's so much faster. Is that the biggest difference as you go up the levels in, in, in baseball from A ball up to AAA and then the, the bigs? I'd say it's similar, yeah. Okay. Like the speed of the game we talk about a lot, like which players, and again, you're looking at, 17 18 19 year olds or or even guys in double a like because the double a game is really really good but it's not the big leagues and and which of these young players is going to have the ability to to slow the game down when when the bullets start flying at the big league level um you know there are certainly indicators for all of it like do you swing at good pitches do you tend to make contact when you swing like how, how quick is your bat? How much power do you have? Like, all these things that surround the ability mm-hmm. to, to slow the game down and might be indicative of an ability to slow the game, but you never really know, you yeah. know? Um, and certainly the farther away you get and the further you are projecting on a player, the more uncertainty there's going to be in those types of things. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think it's comparable, and, you know, football is a great example of, like, you know, the combine freaks don't always turn into the best players. Like right. Jerry Rice ran like a four seven or something at the combine. So yeah. like Larry Fitzgerald, like you have these, you have these otherworldly talents, like some of the best players to ever play the game who just like, you know, they just do it because they're good players, not necessarily because they're right. combine freaks. And same thing happens in bait. Like you do have Aaron judges and John Carlos Stans who are just freaks of nature. And then, you know, you have Dustin Pedroia's who, like, probably wouldn't show up very well in a combine. Alex Bregman's probably wouldn't right. show up very well in a combine setting, you know, but just insane skill levels that 
can supersede uh, any underlying yeah. underlying tool mediocrity. Is, is there a way to to um, like the top teams in Division One baseball that are in there competing, like the Tennessees? I know yeah. they didn't make it, but just incredible. Is that equivalent of a double A team, a single A team? Is, can you can you go across the board like that, or is it just hard to hard to project where? what that would be like in, in, in the pros. Yeah, I think it's hard to. Um, I would say in today's, like if I had to guess, because I think that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> right. We're not being held to this at all. <laughs> it, it's probably around high A, I would say. Okay. Um, particularly with the, um, with the new minor league layout the contraction that we went through post-COVID. Right. The levels are all a little bit different. Beforehand, I would probably have said low A. Um, but nowadays, I, I would probably say somewhere between low A and high A. And high Because I, I think where you find the the trade-off is like, yeah, the top talent in the SEC can probably go to double A and be A-OK next year. Yeah. Um, it's like the, the back halves of the rosters yeah. <laughs> where, like, you know, even the back half of an SEC roster is is not going to be nearly as talented as the back half of a, you know, a high A roster or a low gotcha. A roster even, yeah. you know. Um, and it's like you're also you're also just optimizing for different things like in college baseball versus yeah. pro baseball. Like college baseball, you're optimizing to win that right. game, you know. You're not necessarily worried about whether or not you're, you're 26 guy – is going to be a prospect three years from now. You know, if he right. can help you win today, that's that's all you're asking that's all you to care do. About. Whereas in pro ball, you're okay with you're okay with a young kid getting it handed to him in low A because he's super young for the level. You know, there's physical ability and like it's going to pay dividends. Yeah, two three years from now, um, which I don't think is the case. In, yeah, in most college baseball programs, right. you know. Well, uh, first off, to listeners, I'll apologize for the, the, the road noise here, but it's kind of good. We're talking about building a team, and they're building a road right out here where we're, where we're at, unfortunately, where the place I picked to meet. But um, it's interesting to me that, that whole concept of, of that, that jump because, like, we watch those, those College World Series games, and they're so great. These guys are so talented. But it's just it's the, that cream of the crop from all the good teams that makes it. So, so the, the talent level is just so amazing. And I think as a fan of baseball for so long and watching a lot of college games now, you watch what these guys do in, in the pros, and they do it sometimes so effortlessly. You think, well, that's not that big a deal. And then you think about the play that that shortstop just made in the hole to make that throw for a guy who runs that fast. And you're like, that's pretty amazing what these guys can accomplish. I mean, it's, it's such a high bar. Yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things about, like, really all professional sports like they just make it look so easy yeah you know and and if you have any athletic background or if you've played at a reasonably high level like you you have a little more appreciation for how hard it is what they're doing <laughs> right and like you know you might watch whoever quarterback miss a wide open throw and it's like oh my god i could have made that throw yeah it's like well maybe but, or <laughs> you watch not. like a, a tennis player like yeah. return a 140 mile an hour serve yeah. or something and you're like oh i could i could return that yeah. you know and you're like eh, golfer hit a shot 
out yeah. on Pebble Beach today. Like, Guy's dude. like, I was a pretty good shortstop in high school. <laughs> I could have made that play. And it's like, nah, you wouldn't even got there. You know, I had a, when I was first starting, I had a um, kind of an old scout mentor. Um, we were watching a player one time, and uh, and he was like, hey, Brendo, like, he makes it look pretty easy over there, doesn't he? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, and and he was like, you know, you know why he makes it? Because it is easy for him. <laughs> that guy over there, it looks really hard for him, doesn't it? It's because it is really hard for him. <laughs> so like, you know, a lot of times, like, whether it's poise or body language, yeah. some of the softer, nuanced words that people use, like, they, a lot of the best players do tend to to do that you yeah. know like Alex Bregman in high school just barreled up everything it's just what he did like he yeah. wasn't as big and strong and fast as some of the other guys but like you know all he did was barrel up balls yeah and uh and because it was easy for him yeah know? right and, right uh, you know you watch Aaron Otto make a play at third and you're like that looked easy and in yeah. his mind he's like that was fun that was right. easy but right. everybody every every other mere mortal on a planet's like I wouldn't even got to I, that I, ball I hurt myself and <laughs> you know so yeah, like I, I definitely really any sport at the highest level, but any sport that you have kind of intimate experience yeah. with, like you just, you just have that appreciation, and yeah. you never want to lose that either, because like you know, then you just turn into every old guy at the bar who's like, oh, I could have done that, and like right, old man on the porch, right, right? like right. like oh, I in my day the players were right, all right. that stuff. Well, right. did you so you you graduate from Stanford? I mean, economics. You do, did you think about going and doing the Wall Street that or, or business world, or were you like, man, I want to go into baseball? Oh yeah, I, I was. Uh, I was lined up to yeah, um, which was was good and bad. Um, who knows where that would have led? But like, really, as I was graduating, was kind of the yeah <laughs> financial crisis of oh, two right, right, thousand nine. Yeah. You know, like. I remember in the cafeteria kind of like getting ready for finals and some of the some of the Bear Stearns Lehman stuff started breaking. Oh um, wow. But but you know what the baseball stuff was always kind of gnawing at me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I didn't know much about baseball operations or baseball and started again learning about it I don't know maybe 9 months before graduation, 12 yeah. months before graduation and um, you know, the, the sports industry is so different cause there's no, there's no real structure to land. Like, you know, whether it, in finance or in consulting or whatever, like you have these organizations who come to talk at universities, they put on, you know, early round interviews at, yeah. uh, on campus and stuff. And, um, even your professors or your career resource officer whatever like they can like hey here is the process for going to work at wherever um but that doesn't really exist in baseball yeah, you know so right. like, it's kind of just like a free-for-all um for better or worse and you know yeah what basically when i was graduating i um i got a handful of phone numbers from my head coach mark marquis and mm. uh one of them was AJ Hinch, uh, who was the farm director with the D-backs at that point in time. Yeah. And, um, AJ was the phone call. And he was a Stanford up, guy. Yeah. yeah. AJ's so had the awesome. Connection. Owe him a lot. Um, such a good dude. Obviously sharp. Um, 
but but yeah, the AJ and the Diamondbacks. He was one of the, the first that, guys. It was like when he was when he was on the field managing. One of the true cheeks was he was too smart to be a manager. <laughs> like people would be like, "Well, he's too smart. Like he 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 didn't play the game at a high enough level, you know, or whatever." There were these crazy critiques, and I was always like, "You're criticizing the guy because he's too intelligent." Like this is kind of weird to yeah. me. But he brought a different approach to it yeah. in the dugout, maybe before some other guys. He did. was really um, in credit Josh Burns, um, the general manager at the time, yeah. who who put AJ in the dugout. Um, yeah, he he was he was probably th- three years ahead of his time yeah. in in moving from a non coaching position into a managing position, and now now it happens and people don't even think twice about it. Yeah, whether it's a broadcaster or a farm director or a whatever. Um, but yeah, like at the time when AJ moved from the front office to the dugout, it was there were a lot of there were a lot of eyes turned up at it yeah and and ultimately like in the sports business you're you're more or less judged on results and like yeah the big league team just didn't play well after that point yeah um but fast forward a few years and the astros were sure playing well under aj so like um you know i like i said it's we don't think twice about it anymore whether it's uh a baseball coach or a football coach or whatever, but at that point in time, it was quite <laughs> it radical. It was a big deal, right? And, and uh, also with the with the, I mean, now you don't think twice about teams using analytics, right? If it doesn't work, though, oh, they Dave Roberts replies too much on it. You know, he's too analytical driven. It's like, well, he wins a hundred games every year, so it must <laughs> be working somehow. And that's just kind of what you have to deal with, right? If if it works, Theo Epstein's a genius because used analytic. Billy Bean's a genius. If it doesn't work. Oh, you're an idiot to do it that way. So. You're kind of six one half. You're 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 screwed either way. It seems yeah, hundred like. percent. Like you just, you just got to win. Like it better work. <laughs> you know that's yeah. uh, that's really the only rule. Um, but yeah, AJ uh, AJ's awesome. So and you came on with the Diamondbacks during that time. Uh, AJ and was Josh there when you started there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Josh was our GM. Uh, AJ was farm director who went down to manager and uh, and yeah, Jerry Depoto, my my current boss uh, was running scouting for the D-backs yeah. at that point in time. So, and you were with the D-backs for what about uh, ten years or ish? Yeah, ish um, around, around that amount of time. Yeah, I, I'd have to go back eight and to look ten years. Yeah, something. Like and then that. and so you moved to a couple different positions there. But when you you mentioned you didn't know much about it about nine months before graduation, like how did you start learning more about it? I know you got the names from your head coach to call, but how did you start learning and thinking? Oh, this might be. I might be interested in this. I, I think I just started reading everything I could get my hands on. You know, um, you know some of the, some of the now more mainstream sites in, in baseball analysis mm-hmm. were, were kind of in their infancy then. So you're reading Fangraphs every day. You're reading Beyond the Box Score. You're reading Hardball Times and Baseball Prospectus and like, they were doing like really kind of edgy cutting edge stuff back then yeah Um, and they would talk a lot more about just the logic behind transactions or how to evaluate players a little more granularly or um so it was again it was just reaching out to people and reading everything you can and just kind of fingers crossed that one of the paths lead to I, i mean i still like when i showed up on day one for internship with the diamond like i didn't know anything you know like it just, <laughs> just fresh huh? you think you do but you know. was that the first job as an intern 
Yeah. And what were you doing? Intern for, did they have you? In? Uh, just anything and everything. Baseball operations. Baseball yeah, ops, okay. Anything and everything. It was, you know, um, answering phone calls. Like yeah. Making sure Josh's calendar lined up the way he wanted to line up and um, helping out with this presentation, helping out with that presentation. Yeah. How long did you do that? Um, I interned for a year. For a year? Um, yep. And it was it was awesome. Like, it was... I mean, it was tough, but, like, you look back on it and you're like, man, like, you just, you see so much, you learn so much, you help out. Even just the conversations you eavesdrop on and the things that, like, hey, let's let's go out to lunch and what do you think about this or what do you think about that? And um, I was pretty fortunate because, like, front offices were still pretty small back then. Like, mm. now they're huge. They're just, like, monster undertakings um, in any sport really nowadays, but definitely in baseball. Um, but back then it was still a pretty like skeleton crew, I'd say. Um, and most of the people above me, like had no problem hanging out with the intern Hmm. at lunch or dinner that night or something. And, you know, I I don't think that's as much the case anymore. Um, because again, just the operations gotten so monstrous. Um, but yeah, was very fortunate. Yeah. Jerry, Tommy Allison, Peter Woodfork, Shiraz Raymond, like all the guys who just, you don't really hear that much anymore about the intern going out to dinner with the GM, <laughs> like after a sp- day of spring training or yeah. going to watch a. Did you know you liked it like right away? Were you like, oh yeah, I, w- I want to keep doing this? Or were you like, well, what am I doing? I'm not making any money. I'm working all these hours. My buddies are making making some bank. I mean, should I, should I maybe pull the plug on this? Yeah, yeah. I, yes and no. I mean, because like. Yeah, I was very motivated by the work, I'd say. Um, motivated by the work, like, saw a future, um, didn't think it was a flash in the pan, get it out of my system and move on to a mm-hmm. real job type of thing. Um, but, they, you know, there are moments, like, it, it's still a job. Like, there are moments when it sucks, team's playing bad, yeah. you have work that you don't want to do on your plate and you're like man i you know i'd probably be making three or four times this if i just (laughs) pulled the plug on it and went did something else and you know that's just i think that's most jobs yeah um but yeah i would say yeah i I would say i never really seriously considered jumping ship um just a lot of fun and challenging and you know adventurous and stuff so yeah and oddly you mentioned a little bit of it i mean starting in 2008 2009 even though you know we're at 2023 now so you've been in it a while but a lot of changes in the way baseball operates especially in the last three or four years you talked about the contraction but just the size i mean we're seeing under under when bud selig was the guy we're seeing these valuations of these organizations Go to, I mean, when the when the Royals sell for a billion dollars, you're like, I thought that was a small market team, you know? I mean, we're seeing it become a big business too, but you've seen a lot of those changes. Yeah, it's been, it's it's crazy because like, you know, reflecting back over 10, 12, 15 years, it's obviously come a long way, but it never really feels like that in the moment mm-hmm. like you're, oh like we're, we're gonna hire a couple new guys to do this or we're gonna hire a couple new people to do that and you're like okay sounds great and then like 
that works and then other teams see that work and all of a sudden like everybody's doing that and and, and then what else are you going to do to like yeah. glean the next edge and uh and yeah like you look up after a while and you're like man it, it's it's super cool and like my experience personally w- was probably like you know when i started with the diamondbacks a, a lot of people had pretty big evaluation backgrounds like josh burns big evaluation background jerry huge evaluation and playing background tommy allison big evaluation background and that was kind of my introduction into player evaluation you know and and then you look up in a couple years and um analytics departments are exploding Mm -hmm. um, which is great because you know uh josh jerry tommy peter shiraz like everybody was super curious on it and open to it and stuff um and then that has success everybody moves to that model you know and then probably five years ago uh, the astros kind of showed everybody what was possible with the different player development model mm-hmm. and the astros the yankees whoever um in player development started exploding driveline tread all these places that um just take a lot more rigorous quantifiable approach to to getting players better and the results are kind of undeniable you know um so that started exploding and you know i would say now it's probably health sciences mm-hmm. high performance stuff um just what are the limits of, of of players capabilities you know so it's very much a copycat industry and you know at the end of the year everybody can look up at who won the world series and try to reverse engineer it and and what the best teams are doing, what the smartest teams are doing, things like that. So, so yeah, it's really like, it's come a long way and, you know, I, I don't think it's done. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's, you know, um, but, but yeah, it, it, it's super cool to watch and, and certainly it's become a, just a giant undertaking trying to get all those pieces moving in the right direction. So it is a copycat league. Some teams have this great success and people try to catch lightning in a bottle and follow what they're doing. What, what was the biggest difference for you that that you want to talk about moving from the diamondbacks organization to the Mariners? I mean, Jerry was at both. So you kind of probably knew a little bit what his philosophy was, what you're getting into. You probably looked at what the teams were doing and what your role might be, but what's the biggest difference between the organizations and specifically between the two you worked for? Um, so I went through a lot of changeover turnover with the Diamondbacks. We had Josh Burns. Um, then we had Kevin Towers. Then we had Tony La Russa, Dave Stewart. And each of those, like, it's not really like what's the Diamondbacks philosophy as much as it is like what's every individual, mm. you know, because if you're changing the head of baseball operations that person it's basically his job to right. to impart his philosophies and strategies onto baseball operations so um saw a few different iterations of it in arizona and i would say like at the time um when jerry was getting started with the mariners i think jerry's philosophy in jerry's um you know progressivism and stuff like that it was pretty appealing to me Mm -hmm. um, both just organizationally and and personally Um, you know I I felt 
I felt personally maybe I'd gotten a little comfortable and a little stagnant mm. um, in some of the things I'd been exposed to and some of the things that I'd been learning and stuff. And, um, you know, it was just a pretty, it was an exciting, like Jerry had just taken over a year ago and trying new things, um, really trying to turn over all the stones, whether it's in scouting or player development or whatever. So um, it was just an exciting chance to yeah. transition yeah. to an organization that I thought was going to do good things right right and so huge success last year um ending of that year excited about moving into this year when you guys are planning for the next year i know you're always looking to hey how would we make the team better how do we improve the current players we have and want to keep and project them and that's we got to look at free agency when's that coming up for each i mean there's a lot going on there but do you guys project out hey this is success for us this year or does everybody just go, hey, we want to win the World Series? And if we don't, then we don't have – it's not exactly where we want to be. Or do you kind of, hey, we want to win this many games and we want to win our division and then, you know, make a run at it in the playoffs, and that would be great? Yeah, I, definitely. Like, you know, is 95 wins a good season? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> Seems is 90, like it. <laughs> is it a good season if you don't win any playoff games? You know what? It probably is because playoffs are weird. Um, but – you know, we certainly want to go deep in the playoffs. Yeah. If we win 85 games and miss the playoffs, is that just, yeah, probably. Um, so, you know, I don't know if we set a, I don't know if we set a bar for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like anything below this is disappointing. Anything above that is success. Like it's, obviously we have the things that we're shooting for and, you know, things still have to break, right? Like players have to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to get good seasons out of guys that you might not have expected it from. So things definitely have to, to break a certain way. And you don't want to, like, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater if, you know, your best three players get hurt, like, yeah. in an unforeseen fashion. And, you know, you just come up short. Like, that's that's sports. Like, yeah. that's, that's baseball. That's whatever. Um, but, yeah, like, we, we definitely have targets we're shooting for. Yeah. Um, and, and you know that involves winning postseason series and um you know making the pacific northwest proud of the product we put on the yeah. field so where do you think the the where do you think the game is right now the state of professional baseball i mean i you know growing up like i said i grew up in kansas city loved it i tend to be a little more traditionalist when they come out with different rules and things like that to that change the game you know to me it's it's nine innings and if it takes three and a half hours it's still a beautiful game if it takes two hours it's a beautiful game it doesn't bother me but I get it um you're trying to make a product more enticing to other people because it is a product in the day but but where do you feel like it is overall um I guess health wise and talent wise I think I, I, I think it's in an interesting state um, cause I do worry about the 20, 30 year future of the game, yeah. you know, um, if ratings keep going a certain way or if game lengths and, you know, yeah, I don't know. You, you just, you see kids doing this and that versus sitting down and watching three and a half hours of baseball and you're like, yeah, it's fine. Like, but then what does that mean yeah. for the next, you know, cause I, I want baseball to thrive. I want baseball to be as good as it's ever been, you know, so I certainly think rule changes are good. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying new things is good. I think 
you know, other leagues have shown us, like, what rule changes can do mm-hmm. to a sport, whether it's football or basketball or anything. Um, and I think the players, the coaches, the evaluators, like, everybody will adjust to those rules. Like, mm-hmm. it's still going to be the same game, you know. Three outs, pitcher's got to throw the ball. Like, none of those things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can make it, if we can make it more exciting for the young kids, if we can make it more interesting to sit down and watch – um, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, Yeah, you know, you don't want to just like go crazy with things <laughs> right, and like, right. you know, so, so you do, you probably need a dash of conservatism when it comes to like instituting <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, making sure the things that you're instituting are working the way you mm-hmm. want them to work and things like that. But, uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think. I think just throwing the hands up and saying, well, well, back in my day, pitchers threw 500 pitches every year. Like, that's just not <laughs> the game anymore, you yeah. know? And, like, <laughs> take the ball every fourth day and throw right. nine innings. <laughs> so, it, you yeah. know, I, I do think continuing to adapt and adjust and try new things and capture young minds mm-hmm. um, is important. Does it fe- – it feels to me, and you know better, because – you obviously have to be concerned about it. That's your livelihood. You're dedicating your life to the game. I'm a fan. So it's easy for me to go, don't change anything because sure. I like oh, it, yeah. you know, because yeah. when I die, if it goes away, what do I care? <laughs> I'm dead, you know. Um, but the it seems like, yeah, the, the younger kids in America maybe aren't as interested. But, man, it just seems like uh, the foreign kids, especially the Hispanic kids, I mean, we're seeing some phenomenal talents come out of the islands and South America and some of these places, it seems like they're still loving baseball and, and playing it. Oh yeah. And I think like, I still think kids love bait. Like I, I see my own son or kids playing at the park, like kids want to come play with us and like kids enjoy the game. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's just the trade off in their head of like, Am I going to watch a baseball game? Am I going to watch a football game? Am I going to watch a basketball game? Am I going to watch a baseball yeah. game? Yeah, like you're constantly just like, even kids are like yeah. weighing like those trade-offs better. and stuff. It's more and exciting, more dynamic in there. Yeah, you know. it's fast. It's everybody scoring. It's, you know, whoa, look at that dunk. Yeah, whoa, especially the league three. now. Everybody yeah, is like, scoring now. <laughs> you know, it, it's exciting. Like, I I yeah. love it. I enjoy watching it. And um, and I get it why I get why scoring's fun, you yeah. know? Like, it's it's fun to go shoot hoops with your friends and just score, score, score. Yeah. Like, so, you know, it's less fun to go play with your friends and just strike out every time because they all throw 100 now. <laughs> yeah, like, right, right. That's not fun. But, yeah, yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Um, well, it is interesting. I'm, I'm, I would probably be more of a conservative traditionalist just in the sense because I'm older and because of how I grew up. But, um, I, you know, the college game, I actually kind of love the whole – Tennessee like having fun in the dugout and stuff and I I kind of like the some of the this is a a broad comment but like a pwig and some of these some of these Hispanic players bring this flair to the game where they enjoy it as opposed to kind of more robotic where the way it used to be in the days and I I kind of enjoy that as you know as long as you're not taunting the other team you're celebrating with yourselves I I think it's kind of funny you look like you're having a good time I think that's I agree like you know football turnover chain like that's awesome like i I think that's super cool and baseball like you know bat flips are probably controversial but 
you know, again, as, as long as you're celebrating yeah. and not like you don't like it, strike the guy out. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I think that resonates with kids who see it on TV or like, oh man, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to try to do that, and like, you know, hopefully they're they're not taking the wrong takeaways from it, yeah, and yeah. like, we we can still have an element of sportsmanship, an element of respect for your opponents, things like that, but like people should have fun like sports yeah. are about having fun and competing and playing hard um and, it, and if you can't have fun doing it or you can't have fun winning like kind of defeats the purpose a little bit right um so yeah like I, i'm i'm all for it uh obviously there's a line that gets crossed sure. if it becomes disrespectful or if it becomes whatever uh but but yeah like I think for the most part, it's yeah. it's exciting to watch Acuna hit a nuke and throw his <laughs> bat in the air, or or Julio like right. run around as fast as he can and make awesome plays and stuff. Like those things are fun to me. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Do do you um do you, do you see a time when it progresses to a computerized strike zone, especially as we see Angel Hernandez's calls on Twitter every five seconds and go, dude, that was way off the plate. You know, I think. <laughs> Probably at some point. Um, I think we're probably a little further away from it than most might think. think. Um, Yeah, because they put that little box up and everybody goes, why don't they just have that call it, you know? Yeah, like, you know, I think, again, and they're they're testing things out. Major League Baseball is testing things out in the minor leagues and in the Arizona Fall League and stuff. and, And I think, you know, I think there have been good responses i also think they're like there are just nuances that we can't get wrong yeah uh, in implementing because there's too much at stake um but yeah you know the more people um watch postseason tv and they see guys getting rung up on pitches that are objectively six inches outside like in today's world you kind of can't keep doing that right and just being like oh well that's that's part of the game you know and i think football is going through the same thing with instant replay and you had the accelerated replay during the divisional round and you know sensors in the balls like mm-hmm. they got first down chains breaking because they're 30 years old in the middle of playoff games <laughs> like you know football is dealing with the same stuff and um i think ultimately like the the trade-off is between like the watchability of the product and getting the call right Mm -hmm. because like you want to get the call right you want you want the game to be played on an even playing field you want the best team to win um and getting the call right impacts all of those things um but but if every play is getting reviewed and you know then it becomes kind of an unwatchable product as we sometimes see with nfl replay or you know, the end of basketball games, yeah. things like that. So um, I do think there's a future for it. I, I don't know exactly when or what it looks like. Um, but I don't think it's going to look like the maybe the notion of just, like, there's no umpire back there. It's all automated balls and strikes. Right, right. And like, Sensors on the bases. Yeah, and all yeah. he touched it he before him. We'll see. I, I mean, I, I yeah. again, I'm open to all sorts of possibilities. Yeah. And I think it's been – it's been fun to watch, like, in the minor leagues or in the fall league or yeah. whatever. Like, it's, it, it's, it definitely adds something different to the game. Well, whatever TV broadcast first, whoever came up with that box there, 
did not do Major League Baseball or the umpires any favors <laughs> because it's right there. And whether it's exactly right or not, if something's out of that and you go back a microsecond, you go, oh, how did he miss that? Then you go, oh, wait a minute, that guy was throwing a slider at 92 yeah. with the break on it, and a guy was swinging at it or not swinging at it, and the catcher was framing it. And I the know. catchers are so good at framing these days. Yep. It's like I wouldn't even have seen that ball. Yeah, it's right in line with what we talked about a little bit ago of, like, the best players making it look really easy and like it's really hard to call balls and strikes from behind yeah. like it is so yeah. hard yeah like all the things you said guys are throwing 100 miles an hour now like with nasty breaking stuff and catchers are trying to deceive you non-stop and like it's really hard um you guys track do you guys track that framing like that that some oh yeah. places yeah. track it framing for a strike yeah 100 percent. catchers are so good at that it used to be only a few guys did it yeah. Now any game you watch, they're they're from almost every pitch. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's if I was an ump, it'd drive me crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. I, I haven't talked to any of them about it specifically, but and they're so good at it these days. Yeah, I, like I they mean, deceive me. The guys are they're literally trying to make you look bad. <laughs> yeah, like, in real know? time, I'm yeah. like I'm like, oh, that's a great pitch. And I see, it, I go, oh, he totally pulled that in the zone. I know, but yeah, no, it, it's 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 an important part of evaluating catchers. It's yeah. an important part of developing catchers. It's a thing. Um, you know how long will it remain a yeah. thing if we do get to a automated or semi-automated system we'll see yeah but um well it's still my favorite game i still think it's the greatest game ever invented I, a lot of people disagree with me especially anybody under the age of like 42 it seems like but um but i love it and i've enjoyed the conversation i tell you you know the mariners are such a great story because it shocked a lot of people when they first started talking about oh the the, the longest drought of any major sport we're like Really? Like, because we, we remember, you know, those days with A-Rod and with Randy and with when it, but it's like, it's been that long. And it was great because I didn't have a dog in the fight in the postseason because my Royals, you know, I don't know if they're going to sniff another one for some time now. Um, I had my heyday for a couple of years and that was it when the, Dayton now is gone. So who knows? But um, it was easy to root for the Mariners. They're great to root for as kind of the underdog. And I don't know. I don't know what you feel. You guys can probably carry that over into next season too, because it's just a good, compelling story. For yeah. so long, there was nothing there, and now, now you got some really good young talent too. Yeah, I think so. Um, we certainly think we're set up to be good for a while now, um, but it's baseball. You just never know. Um, and yeah, like you're right. When, when I think back, like I don't know. Like there are some teams that were just perennial cellar dwellers and, yeah. and the Mariners always seem to put like competitive teams Decent, out yeah. but they just never got over the hump for some reason um even in a couple of my early years we would win like 88 89 90 games and we wouldn't make the postseason oh. it's just like you know but but still like you didn't make the postseason um so yeah we're we're the Seattle's such a great sports town the Pacific Northwest is such a great sports area like yeah. they deserve it um and, and we're we're excited yeah. Well, thanks for the time, man. Good luck this season. 100%. Thanks, Potter. Hey, thanks a lot for listening to the Pottercast. We'll see you next time.